Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us as we worship and praise our Father this morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. Hopefully, uh, you, you've already been welcomed as you come in, but if not, let me be the first to welcome you here this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, we'd love to have you fill out a little guest registration card, the little white card there in the pew rack in front of you. If you could fill that out and, and put your name on there, it'd be a great way for us to get to connect with you, and you can indicate ways that we can pray for you and, and to receive our newsletter so you know what's going on in the life of our church. Uh, we're, we're excited to be here to worship this morning, and I hope that you are as well. I'm going to take just a second to pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather here uh, just to give you praise for all the blessings that you've given us in life. Fathers, as we pause here at the beginning of this week, just to, just to focus our hearts on you and, and to make the direction of our, our lives uh, being guided by you this week. Lord, we just thank you for what you've done in our lives and we pray that you help us to honor you in what we do this week and as we go out. Father, we just pause to, to take a moment to focus our hearts on you. And we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, we have a lot, a lot, a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Uh, I'm thankful that I live in the, in the United States of America. You know, if we could have born, been born in any, any country in the world, and the Lord gave me the privilege to be born here. And not only that, uh, I feel really honored to have been able to serve the, serve our country in the Air Force uh, and my father, too. In fact, today I, I wear my father's nameplate here. It says green on it uh, in honor of Veterans Day. And I just wanted to say a moment here to say if you're a veteran of the United States military or a, a, a policeman or a fireman, would you please stand so we can honor you? Thank you. Thank you so much. Everyone, let's stand together now and let's sing. Not only that we will thrive as a country, but we will thrive as a people of God. This is one of our favorite songs. And uh, sing it with all of the gusto you got. Here we go.
hard to try to do that. It's never inappropriate to give the Lord a hand, is it? Praise the Lord for all he has done. Because he lives, we too can live. This is a great song. I just pray you want to I ask that you sing it from your heart. Declare this. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome. Amen. By the power of his blood. Let the people say it together. Amen.
black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he.
Oh, Lord, thank you for the glorious day that you gave us your throne in heaven, that you gave up your throne in heaven for the sake of your children. Praise you for the glorious day that you loved us enough to go to a sinner's cross that we may have eternal life. We rejoice, O oh Lord, in the glorious day that you rose from the grave to prove that you are God incarnate. And we look with longing eyes to the glorious day that you will return and bring your people home to thrive with you forever. Oh, praise be to the God of glorious days. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to take just a moment to catch up with you. I was gone last week on a, a mission trip with one of our mission partners in Pennsylvania, Billy Levingood, running a church there. We had a great mission trip. I want to back up just before that for a moment and uh, thank our church family for participating in Trunk or Treat. We had uh, about 50 families of our church participate, and we had 1,600 to 2,000 people come through our parking lots. That's about as many people as we ever have on our campus. And I met folks that uh, are new to Manchester and, and uh, visited with them. So thank you. Thank you for caring about children. Thank you for caring about our community. Thank you for getting outside our church walls and helping us reach out in love to people around us. Then I want to look ahead for a moment. Next week, uh, we'll have our church Thanksgiving dinner at five o'clock. Hope you'll plan to be a part of that. Plan to bring, you have to bring some food. So plan to fix something, buy something, bring something. And uh, we, it's in our gym at five and church furnishes turkey and dressing. We bring food, it's a great time of fellowship and worship. Also the next week is the last week to bring back Operation Christmas Child boxes. And then I wanna look ahead to two weeks from now. Two weeks from Friday is our Christmas celebration. You believe that? Uh, it's early in December this year, so that's why I want you to get it on your radar now. So two weeks from Friday, December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night at 6 p.m. Our choir and drama team and student choir be sharing our big celebration of Christmas. So hope you'll plan to come, and I want to share it with you now to get on your radar so that you'll be inviting people to come. Some folks will come to something at Christmas who don't come other times. And so at the Welcome Center are some invitations that look like tickets, that look like this. You don't have to have a ticket to get in, but it's, this is just a way of sharing an invitation. So would you pick up some, and friends and coworkers and neighbors, would you, would you invite them to come celebrate the birth of Jesus with us? And I want you to plan to come. Would you think about coming on Friday or Saturday night? Because last year we had good crowds on Friday and Saturday, and then on Sunday night we didn't have room for everybody, and we had to split families up just to try to get them seated. So you come Friday or Saturday, and that'll share the word, and even more people will come on Sunday. So share that with folks. Two weeks in Christmas, two weeks from Friday, we're going to be celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus. Hope you'll be a part of that. We're all aware of what happened last Sunday morning at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. During their Sunday morning worship service, a gunman came in and opened fire and killed 26 people, injured 20 others. 
their average attendance is usually in the 40s or 50s, so it essentially almost wiped out that congregation of believers. And our hearts go out to those folks, and we join with millions of other people, thousands of other churches today, in praying for the people, the families of Sutherland Springs, Texas, and this terrible tragedy. And then just last month, a shooter in Las Vegas during a concert opened fire and killed 59 people and, and injured hundreds of other people. And the month before that, just up the road from us in September, a gunman entered a, a service at uh, Burnett Springs, uh, uh, Burnett Chapel Church of Christ and uh, killed one person and injured seven there. And obviously we pray for these people and we, uh, we stand with them, but is there any lesson that we should learn from all this? Um, uh, is there anything that, that this should, should teach us when we hear this horrible news? What would Jesus say to us today about these church shootings? If Jesus could be here in person on our stage and we could give him a microphone and interview Jesus and say, Jesus, what's, what do you think of this? Jesus, what should be our response to these church shootings? What would Jesus say? We really don't have to speculate about that or wonder because there was an incident very similar to that that people came and reported to Jesus of when worshipers in his day, while they were worshiping, they were massacred. And people came and asked Jesus about that massacre. And so we have recorded his response. It's in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And so some people came to Jesus, hey, did you hear the news? They wanted to see what Jesus would say that Pilate had killed some Galileans while they were offering sacrifices. Now, we don't know any more about this than that verse there. It's not recorded anywhere else in history. Apparently, in the temple in Jerusalem, maybe in the court of Gentiles, when they were coming to bring their sacrifices, somehow Pilate's soldiers, authorities, killed them during that act of worship. Although we don't know anything about this story, it sounds like something Pilate would do. We know from the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote about first century history in Judea, that there's another incident of about this same time when Pilate built an aqueduct to bring water into Jerusalem, and he used temple tax money to fund it, and this infuriated the Jews at their misappropriation of funds that Pilate was doing, and so they gathered in protest, and Pilate sent his soldiers incognito in civilian clothes with clubs under their cloaks and his intent was to disperse the crowd, to break it up, to, uh, and the soldiers got carried away. And not only did they break up the church, but break up the crowd, but they killed several people. And so, although we don't know about this incident, it sounds just like something that Pilate had done. Maybe this one was another kind of those acts like that. And so, 
they wanted to hear what Jesus would say in response to this. And verse 2 begins his answer. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And so the, and, and the next verse says, verse 3, I tell you no. So first of all, Jesus says, you can't conclude that this was God's judgment on those specific people. Suffering and tragedy is not necessarily God's judgment upon those people. This is the same mistake that Job's friends made when he suffered to conclude they did something bad, they got what they deserved, and Jesus says you can't make that connection with these people, that tragedy comes indiscriminately. Then Jesus said what we should learn from it. What's the takeaway from us other than caring for these people and praying for them? What, what lesson should we learn? He says still in verse 3, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Maybe they were trying to pull Jesus into a political statement about Pilate. We don't know why they brought this news to him. Don't know what they were looking for. But Jesus wouldn't go there. He said, listen, here's the real takeaway. The real takeaway is the same kind of thing is going to happen to you. Disaster comes to all of us. You're going to die. And this kind of event, when you hear about it, should you make you aware of the brevity of your life and the, how fragile life is and should cause you to think, am I ready to die? Because that's the most important thing. Then Jesus gave them another example. It says in verse 4, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. And so Jesus brings up a second tragedy, this one more of a natural disaster or an accident, not the act of an evil person. We've had a lot of natural disasters also lately in the last year or so, haven't we? Hurricanes in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico and earthquakes in Mexico and wildfires in California that have killed many, many people. And and what should be our response to those kind of things? And Jesus says a similar thing. Verse, still in verse 4, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And he says in verse 5, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. The tower at Siloam, Siloam was the, the pool where Jerusalem's water supply was. It came from the Gihon Spring and then collected in the reservoir there. And so there must have been some tower there, maybe a fortification that guarded the water supply. We don't really know. But somehow this tower fell, collapsed and fell, and killed 18 people. Maybe there was an earthquake, maybe just poor construction, maybe these were innocent people, or maybe these were people who were working on one of Herod's projects, and some of these people were sort of saying, yeah, these people got what they deserve. You know, twice Jesus makes the point in both cases of saying, you can't conclude that this was because of their sin. So maybe people were saying, you know, yeah, I guess it serves them right. Working on one of Herod's projects and they all get killed. And, it, you know, sometimes we say, oh, California falls off in the ocean. It gets what it deserves. Or, you know, we say somewhere else. And Jesus is saying, you can't make that kind of connection. He says that natural disasters are going to happen as a part of our fallen world. And it doesn't necessarily indicate God's specific judgment there. But again, he makes the universal application but unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus is telling us whenever we hear on the news about earthquakes or, or storms or things that kill people, then what should we do? We should think, 
I'm gonna, that, that could be me. I'm going to die, and my death could come unexpectedly like that. And if I die in my sins, I will perish. And the most important thing in my life is to realize life is fragile, life is brief, and I must be ready for it. Now let's think about these two words that Jesus used here. He said it twice. It's important. Unless you repent, you'll also perish. Let's make sure we understand the words perish and the word repent. What does the word perish mean? Well, the word perish means to die. We're talking about people that died in tragedy, and so it means to die. But it means more than just physical death. Let me explain it to you. You see, when God made the world, he gave us a choice. He said he put Adam and Eve in a garden and said you can eat of any tree of the garden, but there's one tree that you're not to eat of. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and if you eat of it, you will certainly die. Well, Adam and Eve representing all of us, and we've all confirmed that choice, rebelled against God, thought their way better, ate of that tree. Now, they didn't die physically the day they ate of it, did they? No. I think the physical death started the day they died. I think Adam and Eve perhaps did not age in the Garden of Eden, and I think the aging process began, and they were certainly going to die physically from that moment on. But they died spiritually in that moment. Spiritual death or separation happened then, and they were afraid of God, and they hid themselves, and they were ashamed of their nakedness, and the whole world has changed. So they've died spiritually, and they're going to die physically. So death comes into our world. Perishing comes into our world in two parts, spiritual and physical death. But God loves us in spite of our sins. That's amazing. And God made a way for us to be saved. And John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not, what? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, Jesus here couldn't have been talking about just physical death, could he? Because you and I know that even if we believe in the one and only Son of God, Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins, Christians still die, don't we? We still die physically. Probably many of these people who died last Sunday morning were Christians. So what does it mean when it says that God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish? Well, it means that second part of the curse. It means that spiritual death. It means you're not going to go to hell. The second death, spiritual death, is eternal death. It's going to hell. It's that separation from God that continues forever and ever. And if you believe in Jesus, whom God sent for you, you won't perish. It says in John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish So when you believe in Jesus, you receive eternal life at that moment, and that curse is reversed as far as that spiritual death, and you get eternal life right then. Now, the aging process still continues. The physical death still continues, but the spiritual death, you're not going to perish. But but God is going to save us completely, and he also came to save us from that physical death, and that's going to occur at his second coming. Uh, You see, Jesus has sort of separated spiritual and physical death, and at his first coming, he enables us to have eternal life now, but he also enables us to overcome physical death, and that'll happen at his second coming. John 11, 25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. So you're still going to die physically, 
but you can live in him. And then one day at his second coming, he's going to take care of the other part of that curse and physical death will be eliminated. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Do you hear the separation between those two parts of the curse there? And there's still that curse of physical death. People can still kill your body. But Jesus says, don't fear them. Listen, folks, we are not to live in fear of church shooters or of ISIS terrorists or of anybody else whose power is limited to killing the body. And there will be some in our day who are going to recoil in fear now and say, oh, I'm not going to go to church and I'm never going to fly on an airplane because they could blow, somebody will blow it up. And, and you know what Jesus says? Don't fear them. Their power is limited. But you want to fear somebody, fear the one who can kill body and soul in hell. So the word perish here, it refers to physical death and spiritual death. And Jesus is saying, unless you repent, you too will perish spiritual and physical death. Now, the other word that Jesus used is repent. So Jesus says, if you repent, you won't perish. Well, what does repent mean? Repent means to change the direction of your life, to turn from your sin, and to reorient your life. Now, in the verses that I read just a few moments ago, all of them use the word believe. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in the, his son will not perish. Well, why would Jesus here use the word repent? All those others said the way not to perish is to believe in Jesus. So which is it? These are two sides of the same coin. To repent is to turn from sin. To believe is to turn to Jesus. And so it's that same act of conversion, two sides of the same coin. There's a turning from sin. There's a turning to Jesus. Why does Jesus use the word repent here when often he uses the word believe? I think he uses the word repent, this side of the coin here, because he wants to emphasize that believing doesn't mean just assenting to some facts in your head. Oh, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm going to heaven. There has to be that reorientation of your life to him. There has to be a conversion, a turning, that I'm not going to live this way anymore. And real believing involves repentance. Saving faith involves that turning from sin and turning from. So it's not just believing something in your head, but believing is turning, it's repenting. And in our culture, it's very easy for us to think, oh, I believe about Jesus in my head, so I'm okay. But has there been a reordering of your life? Have you changed the direction that you are living? Because saving faith will cause you to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. You know, we don't know for certain that all 26 of those people who died last Sunday morning went to heaven. You say, really? But they were in church and they were worshiping. But being in church 
does not guarantee that you have repented and believed. You know, there, I think there were two groups last Sunday morning that entered the presence of God in heaven from that church. First were those children who were not yet old enough to reorient their lives and turn from the sin that is inherent in their lives, but they're not yet old enough to turn from their sin and to orient their lives toward conscious faith in Jesus. A five-year-old child killed, and I believe that five-year-old child didn't perish, went to be with the Lord. An unborn child killed, and I believe that unborn child created in the image of God has an existence there in heaven and is in heaven today. The first group I'm saying from those folks in Sutherland Springs that I think went to heaven were those who were not yet old enough to make that decision to repent and to believe. And the second group is those who had repented of their sin and believed in Jesus, reorienting their life toward him. And Jesus is reminding us here, and he's reminding a Jewish nation that was smug and secure in their relationship to God because they were Jewish people and children of Abraham. And Jesus is saying to religious people, here's what you need to take away from this. Unless you repent, you too will perish. And so to drive that point home that repentance is key, Jesus follows it up with a parable. Go back to Luke 13, verse 6, the next verse. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Fig tree in the Old Testament is sometimes symbolic of the nation of Israel. And fruit is symbolic in the New and Old Testament of Actions that come from repentance. The fruit of repentance is righteousness and, and love and joy and peace. And, that, and so here's a tree that didn't have any fruit. And the next verse, it says in verse 7, So the owner said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? You don't want a tree in your orchard, your vineyard, just for an ornament. It's there to produce fruit. He says it's taking up good space. Cut it down. Let's get another one. Sir, verse 8, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Verse 9, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Here's the good news of one more chance. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Aren't you glad he has given you one more chance? God is long-suffering, and God is patient, and God loves you, and God doesn't want you to perish. And so God says, even to those who have not produced any fruit, oh, let's give them one more chance. Let's let that tree go for one more year, and let's just see. And I'll love on it, and I'll cultivate it, and I'll, I'll dig around it, and let's see if it can't produce some fruit. That's how God loves you. He's let you breathe today. He's given you life today because he loves you and gives you that chance. But he says, after this chance, cut it down. There's coming up a last chance. Those people went to church last Sunday in Sutherland Springs. They didn't know that was their last chance. 
but it was. In my understanding of the chronology of the Gospels, this is about one year before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The one year is almost literal for Israel. Give them one more year. They had another chance, but it was their last chance. And I wonder if uh, for our nation, where are we on God's timetable? I wonder if, uh, if the owner of the vineyard says, bear no fruit, cut it down. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't say, oh, let's give them one more year, one more chance. I wonder where it is in your life. Have you accepted Christ? Have you repented of your sin and put your faith? God's gracious, but it could be the chance he's given you is your last chance. Let me read to you 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He is patient with you, the middle of this verse says, not wanting anyone to what? Perish. But everyone to come to what? Repentance. He doesn't want anyone to experience that eternal death that is just and right and fair, but he loves us. He doesn't want that. And so the reason that Jesus has not come back, this verse says, the reason he's delayed his coming is because even though sometimes I think that white stallion is bucking against the stall like a rodeo, you know, like a bull trying to come out and, and Gabriel's fingering his trumpet and licking his lips and let's go. And Jesus says, oh, let's give them, let's give them one more chance. One more chance. See if they'll repent. So if Jesus were standing here today and we asked him about the church shootings and the hurricanes and we wanted to know why does this happen or what should we do politically now in response to this, I think based on this passage that Jesus would brush aside all of those things and he would say, look, here's your takeaway. Life is short Life is fragile. That could be you. You're going to die unless he comes first. And your death could come suddenly and unexpectedly. So the most important thing is that you have reoriented your life around me and my kingdom. Because I do not want you to perish unless you repent just like them you'll perish. What's God saying to you today? I, I sometimes think that, in, that we have lost some of the sense of urgency as evangelical Christians about life and eternity. About our friends and our loved ones. Have we, have we lost some sense of urgency that, folks, this is real. And the one thing Jesus wanted to say to us in the spectrum was not all these side issues. He wanted to say, oh, unless they repent, they're going to perish. Is there somebody you need to pray for today? Somebody you need to share the good news with? And if you've not yet reoriented your life toward Jesus, change your life. No matter if you've said some religious things or done religious to a religious nation, he said, has there been that fruit that shows real repentance and saving faith? Reorient your life toward me. I don't want you to perish.
Would you stand together with me in a time of invitation? Now, I'm going to invite you today to say yes to Jesus' offer of his son Jesus and his sacrifice for you. And I'm going to ask you to do that by walking forward unashamedly in front of this group. If you don't know what to say, somebody will pray with you and lead you through a prayer that you could ask Jesus into your heart to be your Savior. And then next Sunday when we have baptism, others will be baptized next Sunday. You could join them in that public confession of faith in Christ. And you could have that security of knowing that people may kill the body, but they cannot kill soul and body. Maybe you need a church home, and we'd welcome you into this church fellowship. Maybe you want to come and pray for someone or for yourself. We'd invite you to do that. Let's sing together. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We're going to give our offerings now in worship. If you filled out a guest card, you're welcome to put that in the offering plate. Let it be your offering if you'd like to. We're glad you're here today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today thankful that you are a God of second chances and thirds and fourths and fifths. We just, we just lift up our hearts to you. And just guide us as, as we take these tithes and offerings and do your will. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Troubles chasing me again, breaking down my best defense. I'm looking, God, I'm looking for you. Weary just won't let me rest. Fear is filling up my head. I'm longing, God, I'm longing for you. But I One of the ministries that we do at Christmas time, one of our connection groups sponsors a drive to do food boxes for a lot of families. So we're going to see about a two to three minute video on that before Jake comes and leads us in our closing prayer. Good morning. It's that time of year to ask for your help once again with Christmas food boxes for families in need. This is a ministry that we've been blessed to continue in for quite a few years now. These are just a few pictures that have been taken during the previous years. Each year, we provide food boxes for up to 80 families. These enable families to have a nice Christmas dinner and some other food during that time. This year, the Adult 4 50s Plus class will be teaming up with us, the Adult 4 Co-Ed 2 class. We will be receiving names from the school system, Oakley, and the church office. 
This is a big task to undertake and we can't do it without all of your help. We are asking for your help by giving to the Food Boxes Ministry. You can do this by designating on your offering envelope a gift to Food Boxes. We are estimating the cost for each food box to be around $50. We will be packing the food boxes December the 15th, so please help us with your donations before then. We also need your help delivering the food boxes Saturday, December the 16th. We start delivering at 8 o'clock a.m. Delivering 80-plus food boxes takes lots of people helping out. We need as many drivers as possible. We would appreciate your help. It's a blessing to deliver a food box to a family while watching the kids' eyes light up. All it takes for me is to deliver just one food box to realize how blessed we really are. After delivering one or two, I can't wait to deliver more. As I said, we'll be packing boxes Friday evening on the 15th at 5 o'clock p.m. We could use some help with this also. However, if you can't make both, please make the Saturday delivery the priority. We thank you for your help in this wonderful ministry that shows God's love. Thank you. This great ministry through one of our connection groups. We're grateful for them. I want to remind everybody that next week is also the deadline for Operation Christmas Child boxes. Be sure to get those in. And if you're a first-time guest, be sure to stop by the Welcome Center. Uh, our pastor there has a gift for you. He'd love to get to know you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the message we have heard. God, the urgency that we need you. Father, if there's anyone here tonight or today that, that does not know you, God, I pray that you would intervene in their lives and don't let them leave this place without a relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Just to know you and to make